In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. On the first Sunday of Lent every year, we hear how Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days, the devil came to tempt him. The devil plays a prominent role throughout the Sundays in Lent. On Invocavit, he tempts Jesus. On Reminiscera, he possesses the daughter of a Canaanite woman who begs Jesus for help. On Aculi, a demon makes a man mute and unable to ask for help. And as we almost just heard, Jesus warns us about how the devil and his demons seek to find rest in unguarded hearts that would ever stop asking for help, that it would ever fail to keep or guard the word of God. Next week, Jesus is accused of having a demon himself while letting himself be insulted in other ways, and we'll hear about that next week. Jesus defends himself from this one accusation. He must defend the accusation that he has a demon because he must defend the word of God. The word of God does not come from demons. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. He must hallow God's name. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And isn't this the theme of Lent? God's name is hallowed when his word is taught in its truth and purity. This is why our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is in the truth and purity of God's holy word. This is why Jesus defends the name of the Lord. He hallows God's name by defending God's word. When he defends God's word, he defends you. As a matter of fact, it is with God's word that Jesus defeats the devil in every case. As Jesus said against the very first temptation in the wilderness, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is our theme today. In our text this morning, there is no devil. He makes no appearance. If we had candles like we do in Advent, our candle today would be a lighter and brighter pink rather than the deep penitential purple we're used to. And if we're minded to invest the money, our paramounts, investments, would lighten from violet to rose as well. And this, of course, is intentional. It is to represent a little reprieve from the Lenten discipline of guarding against devilish attack before we intensify our Lenten discipline next Sunday by going so far as to omit the glory be to the Father and to the Son, the Gloria Patria, it's called, from our introit, and from the Nunc Dimittis, after communion, before we hasten our journey to the cross of Calvary to focus on our Lord's suffering and death, we take a break of sorts. We are led by Jesus deep into the wilderness, away from the tyranny of, the, of worldly temptation and demonic forces. We are led as we just sang together with Isaiah 66, to rejoice with Jerusalem, all ye who love her, and with Psalm 122, to be glad for Jerusalem and to pray for her peace. For my brethren and my companions' sake, 
pray for her peace. Laetare means rejoice. That's today's Sunday's name, and they all come from the intro. It's Jesus leads his church and gathers her safely away from the world and its prince. Out in the wilderness, there is much grass. It is just Jesus and his sheep. There's a picture of the church. It is a serene image of idyllic safety. It is perhaps easily unnoticed and subtle, but the thematic progression of Lent is really quite beautiful to the discerning worshiper. The devil who tempted Jesus in the wilderness does not tempt today. But we do in fact return to the theme of temptation with which we first began. But instead of the devil tempting Jesus in the wilderness, it is Jesus who leads the multitude into the wilderness so that he might test them. The word tempt and test are the same. The devil tempts us by luring us away from God's word. Jesus tests us by driving us to God's word. Temptation is from the devil. Trial, being tried or tested, is from God. It's the same word. We see the word tempt in the word attempt, right? And that means to try. We are tried. Tempt and test are the same thing. In German, the word is versuchen. And in that word, you see the word suchen, which means search. As we just sang, we ask God to search us, and to cast out hypocrisy. This is the purpose of being tested. Now, it's the same word, but it's really just a question of purpose and perspective. Knowing God's purpose versus the devil's purpose will teach you what perspective to have when you are tested. So then, what is that purpose? Why does Jesus test his church? For what purpose? Why does he test his Christians? Why? When finally the multitude is far from the tempter, why does Jesus take on the role of tester? To answer this, we must remember the third threat of the Holy Trinity. The unholy trinity. Did I say holy trinity? The unholy trinity, as we learn to know it in the catechism, is the devil, the world, and our flesh, our sinful flesh. And these three enemies all work in harmony. They all have the same will to rob us of what the holy trinity would accomplish for us and grant to us. When the children of Israel were rescued from Egyptian slavery and led to the wilderness by Moses to be tested by God after they were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses. You clearly see how they brought Egypt with them in their hearts. They missed the food. They missed the security. They missed the structure. Pharaoh could not tyrannize them. The Egyptians could not call in their debts, but they brought it all with them in their hearts. They missed the peace and safety of slavery. They grumbled. They were flesh and blood. And flesh and blood has not changed since then. Safe from the devil, far removed from the world, they were still what we are made of. 
They were still in danger from the threat of their own corrupt, sinful hearts. They grumbled against God. And see with what unearthly kindness God responds to their very earthly ingratitude. He feeds them. So it goes. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. But he doesn't just cave. He doesn't just feed them because they whined. No, he tests them again. And here is the true kindness. The Lord tests those whom he intends to strengthen in his word and faith. The Israelites failed in the test of hunger, as we often do. Well, how would they do in the test of manna? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Here the devil does not command and the world does not prevail. But be sure to pray for her peace. For those whom God calls out of the world and safe from the devil are still flesh and blood in whose hearts the hottest battle rages. Know thyself. Search thyself. Test thyself. To those who do not recognize the heart's yearning for slavery, to those who do not know where the war is fought in their hearts, the battlefield, as we talked about last week, to those who think that life in God's kingdom is nothing more than being counted in the number of souls within her gates, to such as those who don't know the wickedness of their own human nature, well then, the testing of the Lord will reveal unbelief and disqualification. Rejoice with Jerusalem, but pray for her peace. Feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom. The Lord tests those whom he intends to strengthen in his word. Our epistle lesson teaches us that the church is our mother. This is a beautiful theme that is found throughout the Bible. And if this theme doesn't compel us to defend motherhood in our day, well then I don't know what will. The church is the true heavenly Jerusalem where the gospel is preached. Her children are free. Her children know who they are, who made them, and for what purpose. This means that they are free from the demands of the law. They're free from having to discover what they are and what their own purposes are. They're free from fleshly perspective. They are given a perspective that only God can give his children. This is freedom in regard to our justification, and it is freedom in regard to our sanctification. In regard to justification, our freedom means that we stand righteous before God on account of our, not on account of our keeping of the law's demands, but rather on account of Christ's obedience for us. We are justified, that is, forgiven and declared righteous by faith in what Jesus has fulfilled in our place both by his holy life and by his innocent death as God's sacrificial lamb. We stand righteous and blameless before God, and nothing in heaven or on earth can condemn us when we believe it and guard it and feed on it. His blood marks our doors, and the angel of death passes over. This is our justification. We are free. In regard to sanctification, this freedom means that the law does not force us into good behavior. Hope for reward does not coax us or prod us. No, but joy 
produces a willing desire to do what God gives his free children to do. It is as we pray every week from Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. We rejoice with Jerusalem, that is where the gospel is preached, because we love her. We rejoice because salvation is given to her and to all her children. We rejoice because we are set free from sin, death, and hell, and the coercion and threatening of the law. We rejoice and willingly obey God. Only the love of God compels us. Because only the love of God can cleanse our hearts and give us a free spirit. We are free in regard to our justification and in regard to our daily increase in and pursuit of holiness, which the Bible calls our sanctification. We don't belong to the world. We don't find our consolation in the world's honor and praises and promises of pleasure or acceptance. But this does not keep her from her seductive ways. Her children are slaves. They are under the law. They are under judgment. They don't keep the law, but they cover their sins with superficial claims of righteousness, which are at least tenuously according to the law. They use the law unlawfully. They twist and use the law to make coverings for themselves. God sees through it. You should too. You were freed from the world's thraldom by a new birth, a new identity, a new inheritance. When you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you were freed from the devil and the world, and you were not cast into a wilderness to have the law imposed upon you as the children of Israel with Moses in the desert. No, but you were brought into a wilderness where Jesus has gone before you to overcome in his own flesh, which is yours and mine, every temptation you will ever face. And yet you continue to have this same flesh that must continue to face temptation. You were born in heaven. You were buried with Christ and raised with him to true freedom. You belong to him. His bride is the church whom he cleanses with his own blood. She is your mother who feeds you. When you are told to hear the gospel and believe it, when you're told to go to church services, when you are reminded not simply to squeeze it into your schedule or opt for the most convenient time, but to regard home dinner and the house that wisdom built as more important than anything else, even going on in your own homes, when you are invited by your pastor or loved one or reminded by your own conscience to go to church, to pray, to hear God's word, what is happening is that you are being invited to find consolation away from the harlot of Babylon and to find it in Christ instead. You are being invited to forsake the strength of your flesh to deny your flesh the satisfaction of getting any credit for anything, to deny the law 
any power to make you into what you must become and to find all your life and happiness in the flesh and blood of Christ instead who fulfilled the law and bore its curse against you. Christ is faithful to his bride. His faithfulness is found in his truth and in his mercy. And all his footsteps are truth and mercy. He loves his wife's children like a good father. He disciplines and trains them to honor their mother and to come home for dinner. A father trains his children. He tests them in order to train them. The reason God trains us in righteousness by testing us in various ways is because our faith is precious to him. By faith, we trust in God. By faith, we renounce the devil and the world and all their ways. We hold our treasure in earthen vessels. We are weak. We are flesh. God, therefore, teaches us also to renounce the lusts of the flesh. Now, the lusts of the flesh include gross passions that we couch in polite language. They include also all sorts of temptations that defile a person and which we know well to condemn and resist. But the greatest and most damning lust of the flesh is self-righteousness. It is self-security. The worst of the flesh is when man supposes that having been freed from the devil and separated from the world, he will attain to the righteousness of life that saves him by his own behavior. But this is neither true sanctification nor true justification. It is the old Adam. When God tests us, he teaches us first and foremost to remember that we are nothing but living dust. We are nothing but grass. He tests us by driving home our greatest weakness so that we might sing as we just sang. What was that? Stanza two. For where God and man both in one are united, with God's perfect fullness, the heart is delighted. There, there is the worthiest lot and the best, my one and my own, my joy and my rest. We are tested by him who has borne all temptation and overcome, not simply by some miraculous power far away, but he has done it in our own flesh, God and man united. He bore your sin precisely in order to overcome it for you, whose weakness he is more acquainted with than you. Now let's return briefly to our gospel lesson to conclude, to see an example of God testing. Jesus tested Philip when he asked how all these people would be fed. The text explicitly says so. He knew the answer and watched Therefore, with some sorrow and frustration, as Philip and Andrew and the others did what you and I do, as they resorted to mathematical estimates, to discussing the limits of economic distribution of resources, he tested them. And they sat and thought how much work it would take on their part. And that's what we do. They fled to the most reliable calculations of human reason, 
Jesus tested them not to find something out for himself since he knows all things, but to lead them to discover for themselves what their knee-jerk instinct was. He tested them, and he tests us that we might learn to know ourselves and blush. We are flesh. We see their weakness, and in theirs we see our own. Jesus showed his disciples that even if devils all the world did not fill, even if one might escape from where all, they, all demons are eager to devour us, yet there is reason yet to tremble and fear. If in the absence of demonic power we resort to human reason rather than to the word of God, what better shape are we in? What rest does one find simply by escaping the devil? If he must still deal with his own sinful flesh in which the devil's poison has done so much damage? What peace does one find in the membership roster of a Christian church if he doesn't go to church? If he doesn't regularly attend to put the old Adam to death and to find life only in Christ who died and rose for us? If the disciples made reason their king, so did the multitude. It is reasonable to crown Jesus so that he might always provide what our flesh desires. But Jesus fled. He avoided the crown which would have indulged our flesh and he embraced the crown that required the death of his own, the pain of his own, the deprivation of every joy and even every smile. But he was not deprived of his father's promises. And it is to the promises of God that we are also directed when we are confused by the tests that Jesus sends us. Whether we are deprived or mocked or hungry or sick or dying, we are to say with the children of Israel, what is this? Luther masterfully put in his catechism, Vasistas, which is, what is this? Straight from the Bible. That's what they named manna. That's what manna means. What is this? Don't figure out what work is required of you in order to make the cross disappear, but rather inquire what it means for you in order for you to learn what great glory and what great honor and what great mercy is given to you when you embrace the cross that Jesus has made a blessing for you. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone, they yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remain. And that kingdom is our mother, through whom we are fed, through whom we find every consolation which God bestows upon the church and upon every conscience that is burdened by the law. We find peace. We find peace where Jesus speaks. It is not your job to learn the meaning of every testing from God. It is your job to pass. And you pass by learning what his word means for you. You cling to it. And as we almost heard, you hear the word of God and you guard it. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our help is in this, dear Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life.
Amen.